The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today. We begin again in the Middle East. That's after Iran urged the Biden administration to use diplomacy as the U.S. weighs how to retaliate against a deadly attack at a military base in Jordan. Bloomberg's Amy Morris with the details from Washington. Iran's foreign minister says active diplomacy is underway to find a solution to the war in Gaza and the regional fallout. But three U.S. soldiers were killed and dozens more were wounded in that drone attack by an Iran-backed militia. And now there are concerns the U.S. could be drawn into a war in the Middle East. Secretary of State Antony Blinken called out those rebel groups. They may say that uh, they're doing that somehow in response to Gaza, but every action they're taking really is to perpetuate the conflict uh, and to expand it. President Biden says there will be a response. Iran denies involvement in the strike. In Washington, Amy Morris, Bloomberg Radio. All right, Amy, thank you. Well, in other developments in the Middle East this morning, Israeli intelligence is claiming up to 10 percent of the U.N. Relief Agency's 12,000 workers in Gaza were members of Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad. The United Nations fired several agency staffers last week in response to Israel's initial claim about their militant ties. We get more from Bloomberg News Middle East breaking news editor Dana Kreish. We did have a story on the terminal looking at some documents that Israel had shared with the U.S. that 10% of the UNRWA staff were involved in the October 7 attack by, by Hamas. Now, the U.N. agency doesn't only aid Palestinians in Gaza, but it also refugees scattered in the region in places like Lebanon. So cutting funding would have an impact on the livelihood of Palestinians inside Gaza and the refugees elsewhere. Bloomberg's Dana Kreish says the document did not name any of the suspects and could not be independently verified. Well, Karen, let's turn now to a major technological development back here in the U.S. Elon Musk says the first human patient has received a brain implant from his Neuralink startup. And Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has the story. Musk says this is a significant step forward for the company. He says it aims to one day let humans control computers with their minds. He's posted that the patient is recovering well and that the initial results of the procedure are promising. Now, the first goal for Neuralink is to help people with traumatic injuries to operate computers with only their thoughts and to help patients with conditions from cervical spinal cord injury to ALS. It does have FDA clearance for the trials. Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Radio. All right, Ed, thanks. Well, we turn to the markets now, and stocks enter the day coming off yet another record high. Earnings will once again be the focus, with 30 companies in the S&P 500 reporting today. High tech will be a major theme. And for more, we're joined by Bloomberg's John Tucker. John. And Karen, the first of the Magnificent Seven tech stocks opened their books with Google parent Alphabet and Microsoft. Now, both are likely to post record revenue. Anurag Rana with Bloomberg Intelligence is the big driver for Microsoft, which just hit a $3 trillion market cap, is the cloud infrastructure business because that intersects with the big players in artificial intelligence. 
OpenAI's backend is Microsoft's cloud infrastructure. So you use a lot more chat GPT, Microsoft makes more money off of it. So that's that's the way you want to think about it. Investors will also be looking to hear more about Alphabet's Gemini, the company's latest push into AI, as well as an update on the state of the advertising market. Both companies report after the close. I'm John Tucker, Bloomberg Radio. All right, John, thanks. It's also a busy day for earnings in Europe, and one company across the pond is disappointing investors. Shares of Diageo are down more than 3%. For the explanation, we go to London and check in with Bloomberg's Kriti Gupta. Kriti. Nathan, a 5% drop in adjusting operating profit from the world's largest makers of whiskey and tequila. Diageo coming out with yet another set of weak numbers after issuing a profit warning back in November. But to slow down North American sales, compounding with a collapse in demand from the Latin American and Caribbean region, that means the company is staring down the barrel of a price hike. CEO Deborah Cruz saying that the focus is still on the premiumization of products, even as consumers switch to cheaper alternatives. In the meantime, tequila sales slowing down in the United States. Diageo's biggest market market, something the company's looking to expand in Europe. But the report comes in stark contrast to blockbuster numbers out of the spirits business here in LVMH and Remy Contro. Kriti Gupta, Bloomberg News. All right, Kriti, thank you. In Asia, Hong Kong stocks fell more than 2%. The impact of China Evergrande Group's liquidation order has had ripple effects. And we get more from Bloomberg's Justina Lee in Singapore. Given that a big focus of this property crisis is the, are these like pre-sold homes that people bought kind of expecting for them to be delivered in a few years, I think that's definitely going to hurt confidence in this part of the market in particular. And that is going to further kind of counteract all these moves the government has been making in order to stabilize confidence. Bloomberg's Justina Lee says China's benchmark government bond yield fell to its lowest in nearly 22 years as mounting expectations for further monetary easing increased. Back to corporate news in the U.S., Karen, IBM wants its workers back in the office. In fact, the company delivered an ultimatum to managers who are still working remotely, move near an office or leave the company. According to a memo seen by Bloomberg, IBM workers must report to an office at least three days a week, regardless of current work location status. Well, job cuts are coming at a major airline, Nathan. American Airlines says it'll lay off 656 employees who help passengers with lost luggage and other travel problems. Those jobs will be consolidated to other teams. It's time now for a look at some of the other stories making news around the world. And for that, we're joined by Bloomberg's Amy Morris. Amy, good morning. Good morning, Karen. We do expect to learn more about the effort by House Republicans to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas in a hearing this morning at the Capitol. Republican Congressman Mike McCall, who is chairing today's hearing, says Mayorkas needs to pay for the crisis at the border. Nobody deserves it more than this man. I call him the architect of destruction and chaos, he has created this crisis, and he knows better. Lawmakers are expected to go over two articles of impeachment. Democrats say the effort's a political sham. The Biden administration is calling on House Republicans to get on board with the bipartisan border deal expected to come out of the Senate. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. The bipartisan agreement that they're coming forward with are things that House Republicans have said, and Republicans more broadly said they wanted. They have said over and over again, this is what they want to see. This comes after House Speaker Mike Johnson late last week says the deal is likely dead on arrival in his chamber as it doesn't go far enough. U.S. officials believe the drone attack at a U.S. base in Jordan over the weekend that killed three Americans may have been a case of mistaken identity. 
Bloomberg's Nancy Lyons explains. U.S. officials say their preliminary investigation has discovered the drone that carried out the attack was apparently confused with an American drone that was returning to the base. That's why it was not shot down. And Deputy Press Secretary for the Pentagon, Sabrina Singh, says they're also trying to determine who was behind the attack. We know these groups are supported by Iran, um, and therefore they do have their fingerprints on this, but I can't tell you more in terms of who directed the attack. All three soldiers lost were based out of Fort Moore, Georgia. U.S. officials say they will hold those responsible to account. In Washington, Nancy Lyons, Bloomberg Radio. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is calling for constitutional reforms in Washington after he got out of the presidential race. We have it in Florida. You know what? It works because people have a limited amount of time. Their incentives are to make a difference, not to stay in office for 30 or 40 years. DeSantis calling for a balanced budget, giving the president a line item veto and term limits for all members of Congress. Global News, 24 hours a day and whenever you want it with Bloomberg News Now. I'm Amy Morris and this is Bloomberg. Karen. All right, Amy, thank you. We do bring you news throughout the day right here on Bloomberg Radio. But now you can get the latest news on demand whenever you want it. Just subscribe to Bloomberg News Now and you can get the latest headlines right at the click of a button. Get informed on your schedule. You can listen and subscribe to Bloomberg News Now on the Bloomberg Business app, Bloomberg.com, plus Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Time now for the Bloomberg Sports Update with John Stashauer. John. Karen, busy night in the NBA, a 12-game slate, including the top two teams in the West, meeting in Oklahoma City. Minnesota won 107-101. The Timberwolves have a one-game lead. Lakers were in Houston. There's some history between LeBron James and the Rockets' Dylan Brooks. And in the second half, Brooks hit LeBron in the face. Anthony Davis said later he should have been kicked out of the game. The Rockets were up by 30 at one point. They beat the Lakers 135 to 119. Doc Rivers' first game on the bench for Milwaukee. The Bucks lost at Denver 113-107. Nikola Jokic scored 25. He had a triple-double. Phoenix won in Miami 118-105. The Heat have now lost seven in a row. They're just a game over 500. Celtics found themselves down nine in the first quarter. Came back, beat New Orleans 118-112. Jason Tatum 28 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists. Wizards with just their ninth win of the season, 118-113 at San Antonio. The Spurs have only won 10. College Hoops, Dukes won three straight, 11 of the last 12, now 7th in the nation. Blue Devils won at Virginia Tech, 77-67. Houston ranked 4th, needed overtime, won at Texas, 76-72. Jamal Sheed scored 25. Chiefs and 49ers getting ready for Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. Both had tough stretches during the regular season. The Niners had a three-game losing streak in October, though they're 14-2 outside of that. The Chiefs had an eight-game stretch where they went just 3-5. and five. Obviously have turned things around with three playoff wins. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.
From coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. The White House continues to weigh its response to the drone attack that killed three U.S. soldiers over the weekend in Jordan. But President Biden is trying to avoid a direct confrontation with Iran, the country that backs the militant group blamed for that strike. For the latest, we are joined by Rosalind Matheson, Bloomberg's news director for Europe, the Middle East and Africa. Ros, good morning. Whatever the options are, it doesn't sound like they are easy for this White House. What could the potential options be? Well, it is, as you say, not easy at all. It's a bit like weighing a scale because you need to have a response that uh, that sort of sends a strong message from the US but doesn't tip things over uh, in terms of a full-scale conflict potentially with Iran. So the options range from you know the ultimate one, which is hitting Iran directly, a site in Iran directly by the US. That's not something that's happened in quite some time uh, to retaliating in other ways, which might be attacking uh, Iranian assets uh, in a place like Syria or in Iraq or somewhere else. Of course, they've already been um, conducting airstrikes on the Houthi militants in Yemen, uh, also backed by Iran. Uh, So just doing a repeat of that probably doesn't send that stepped up message. Um, Or maybe, you know, Israel has has sort of made noises for quite some time about their desire potentially to, to hit Iran themselves. Maybe the US gives them a pass to do so. So there's a whole range of things that are potentially on the table. Um, but again, the, the end calculation, as you say, is finding that response that is a, a, you know, a step up from what they've been doing so far, but doesn't you know, lead Iran to do something even bigger in response. Now, in response, the foreign minister of Iran has gone on social media, the X platform, saying that the White House knows full well the only solution to resolving the crisis in the Middle East is political, pushing diplomacy as an option. But, I mean, that's got to be a tough sell, given that the U.S. sees Iran behind so many of the militant groups in the Middle East, not the least of which is Hamas and Gaza. Well, it's interesting seeing the Iranian response in recent days because, for a start, they sort of distanced themselves um, from this drone attack on the U.S. troops in Jordan, um, saying that was not something that they had ordered and, in a way, downplaying their ability um, to give instructions to these proxies operating in these places. Perhaps that's deliberate. Perhaps there's some reality in that, and that's that Iran doesn't control these proxies as much as we think, um, and perhaps they did act on their own regard. But certainly there's been a bit of an effort, it seems, by Iran to put some space between itself and this attack on U- on US soldiers. And as you say, sort of talk about diplomatic overtures and measures. We do know there have been back channels continuing between the US and Iran throughout. That's been uh, acknowledged um, certainly by the US also. We know they're passing messages to each other. So at least those uh, lines of cu- communication remain open. But as you say, at this point, given uh, what happened in Jordan, uh, the US will feel compelled in some way to respond. Now, I think the closest I've heard to the U.S. blaming Iran for this attack is saying that Tehran has its fingerprints on the Jordan strike. Does that point potentially to how the U.S. could respond to this? 
It does a bit. As you say, they're all being very, very careful with language at the moment, um, including the US. And you can see that from what we've been hearing from the White House overnight, again, uh, both publicly and what we know is happening in their conversations privately. Um, but the, the end result is simply that the US is going to probably have to find some way to respond. The pressure on, on the US President Joe Biden to do something is enormous, uh, not just um, from his own ranks, but also from Republicans in the US, certainly some conservative quarters who are saying he needs to hit uh, Tehran outright. Um, so there's public pressure on him to do something um, and, of course, to hit that right note in terms of the response. But least of all, you know, the US president does not want to be uh, pulling the US into a full conflict in the Middle East in an election year. And on the other side of the coin, I'd have to think the president is facing pressure as well not to roil the global economy because of the kind of ripple effects that a direct confrontation with Iran could have. Well, that's right. And we've already seen the impact of the disruption uh, for some months now to shipping in the Red Sea because of the Houthi attacks on shipping and and the longer routes that ships are having to take. We're seeing that impact some of the global supply chain um, for for produce, uh, for livestock, for parts, for cars and so on, and also for oil and gas. I mean, we're helped at the moment by the fact that demand for oil has been on a downtick. Uh, Gas supply is plentiful in Europe, so those disruptions are not feeding significantly significantly into the market or the real economy at the moment. But if you talk about a full conflict with Iran, then you're talking about major disruption to global supply, um, particularly, again, of, of oil and gas, and certainly a knock-on effect to the global economy at that point. And that's something the US president is very attuned to. A, you know, This is not a moment the economy globally can afford that, um, and also politically at home can he afford that. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed at 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.